You're here, which means that you've found spirit crumbs, leading you to your inner light worker. I will be sharing how these tiny little hints from the universe have led me to where I am today. I hope that by hearing my story and the stories of others, you'll pick up your own spirit crumbs along the way that will lead you to somewhere magical. Thanks for coming along for the journey. Let's see where it takes us. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Spirit Crumbs. I am your host, Andrea McCallum, and I am an artist and a healer. So this week, we are continuing on the Artist's Way series with week nine, Recovering a Sense of Compassion. But before I get into this week's episode, I actually wanted to do something a little bit different because... I had a spirit crumb come up last night that really ended up tying into the whole theme of this book in a way. I did a course through Melanie Ann Lair. Uh, it's a free masterclass, which if you're listening to this on Tuesday, today's I think the last day that the group's open. So you could probably get in there and binge the content, but it really changed a lot of things for me and my perspective and gave me kind of a surge of energy because everything that she says just really resonates like on an energetic level. It's hard to explain. You'd have to experience it. But some of the things she says are things that I just have known in my soul. But for some reason, when she says it, it's like new information. So I'm in the group still for that, and someone posted last night an image of a couple of photos from a book that they have like marked up, and I looked closer and realized I have that book. It's been on my bookshelf for probably three years, four years, and it goes back to that episode that I was talking about how I follow my spirit crumbs. I don't know at this point. I couldn't tell you what episode it was, but... It's something that I do as a practice where if I go to a bookstore or even a thrift store or a library and just wander through and just pick out books that call to me, sometimes I don't even look at the title. Sometimes I'm just like, yes, sometimes I don't read the description. I just see the title and I'm like, yep, going to get that. And when I do it with books that I buy, if I look at the book when I get home and kind of go, I don't know why I have this, I'll just put it on my shelf. But I trust it enough in the moment that I will pick it up and I will buy it. And I don't do that a lot, but when I do it, it's usually in a really condensed period of time where I'll do it a lot for like a few months and then like won't buy or touch a book for a while. And so this was during probably the first or second year I lived here. And I know that I got this book at a thrift store. Couldn't tell you why or when, but the post last night was an excerpt from it showing that, which I didn't even know when I got the book, I don't think, that it's like one of the books where every day of the year has like a passage that you read. I have another one that I read more often. It's called Until Today, I think, or something by Ayanla Benzon. And that one I have a bookmark in and I use. And I didn't realize, I don't think when I bought this book, that this is kind of the same thing except that this one is called Simple Abundance, a day book of comfort and joy. It's by Sarah Van Breathneck, and it's about abundance in the everyday. And it's crazy because I, 
again, don't know when I got this, but I do remember getting it and being like, should I just give this away again? Like a, a couple months ago when I was doing my decluttering episode, I was kind of going through my bookshelf and I don't think I actually gave away any books at that point or like pulled any out. There might've been one or two, but I don't have a ton of extra books right now. I've actually given away quite a few of the ones that didn't resonate, but I keep them sometimes because I don't know when they're meant to come up if I don't know why I got them. And last night's passage was about daydreaming and allowing ourselves to envision the future. And that's kind of part of what I was feeling through the masterclass. And when I looked at the cover of the book in her photo, I was like, I'm going to grab that now. And, it, and it's to the point where this book was to the far, far right. The it's, It was the very last book on my shelf of like spiritual and um, like energy based books. And it was like past the old day planners that I even have there just because they're Kate Speed ones and I like the look of them. But like it was to the point where it was like, I'm never going to look at this again kind of thing. <laughs> so when I saw that last night, it was like midnight. It was like after midnight, I'm pretty sure. I was just like, okay, I have to look like through this book. And I looked at Friday's passage, which on Friday I was like going through like a rough night and the passage, I, the passage in general didn't really, um, resonate, but there was this one quote that the author put in there. It was so simple, but it's apparently from a mystic named Dame Julian of Norwich. And it just says, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And one of the, I guess, principles from Melanie, Melanie Ann Lair's workshop was to be okay in the now, to just have gratitude in the now for what this moment is. And I think that that just kind of reinforced that for me. And I did share it back to the person who posted that passage and the fact that this resonated and ended up connecting with someone else through that. So it was just really interesting. And then what happened after that was I was then looking at the book in a general and I realized, oh, I should probably read the foreword because I didn't want, I, I, when it's a book like this, I like to read the dates on the dates. So I was like, I'm not going to just start reading through a bunch of days, but the foreword probably tells me something or lets me know what the author was thinking. And after I read it, I was like, you know what, this is kind of long. It's a few pages, but I'm going to read it because she talks about creativity, authenticity, um, you know, abundance. And I really just feel like it resonates a lot. And I just felt really called, like, as soon as I read it, I was like, okay, I guess I'm recording tomorrow and I think I'm going to read this. So here I am. And I just wanted to mention that this is from the 90s, so it might sound a little bit different from how your perspective or our perspective is on life at this point. I think it was written in 1995, and she is a wife and a mother, so I don't resonate necessarily with her role in life, but with her perspective and what she's seeking, I really do. So here we go. Several years ago, after I'd written two books celebrating 19th century domestic life, I was about to begin writing one on Victorian decor decorative details. But the thought of ruminating on ruffles and flourishes for a year brought dread to my heart. 
What I wanted to write was a book that would show me how to reconcile my deepest spiritual, authentic, and creative longings with often overwhelming and conflicting commitments to my husband and daughter, invalid mother, work at home, work in the world, siblings, friends, and community. I knew I wasn't the only woman hurtling through life as if it were an out-of-body experience. I knew I wasn't the only woman frazzled, depressed, worn to a raveling. But I also knew I certainly wasn't the woman with the answers. I didn't even know the questions. I wanted so much. Money, success, recognition, genuine creative expression, but had absolutely no clue as to what I truly needed. At times, my passionate hungers were so voracious I could deal with them only through denial. I was a workaholic, careaholic, and perfectionist. I couldn't remember the last time I was kind to myself. Was I ever? More often than it feels comfortable to admit, I was an angry, envious woman, constantly comparing myself to others only to become resentful because of what seemed to be missing from my life, although I couldn't have told you what it was. This secret sense of longing contributed to a perpetual state of guilt. Because I share my life with a marvelous man and our smart, sweet, witty, beautiful child whom I adore, I had so much. I felt as if I didn't have the right to want more. Money was an enormous, emotionally charged issue that controlled my ability to be happy because I let it. Money was the only way I could measure my success and self-worth. If I couldn't write a check on my accomplishments, they didn't exist. Frustrated and unable to fathom why some women appeared to lead much more fulfilling lives, even though I was conscientiously connecting all the dots, I careened between feeling that I was frittering my life away to feeling that I was sacrificing it on the altar of my own ambitions. I was a woman in desperate need of simple abundance. But before this book could be written, I had had to take stock of what was working in my life and what wasn't. Perhaps for the first time, I had to be ruthlessly honest, both inwardly and outwardly. During this time of profound introspection, six practical, creative, and spiritual principles, gratitude, simplicity, order, harmony, beauty, and joy, became the catalysts that helped me define a life of my own. One morning, I awoke to the realization that, almost imperceptibly, I'd become a happy woman, experiencing more moments of contentment than distress. Feeling confident again, I proposed writing a downshifting lifestyle book for women who want, as I do, to live by their own lights. But the book you're reading now bears absolutely no resemblance to the book I began or the book my editor expected. While I wrote for two years, Simple Abundance underwent an extraordinary metamorphosis, as did I. On the page every morning, spirituality, authenticity, and creativity converged into an intimate search for wholeness. I began writing about eliminating clutter and ended up on a safari of the self and spirit. No one is more astonished by this than I am. As simple abundance evolved from creating a manageable lifestyle into living in a state of grace, I began to barely recognize the woman I once was. Simple abundance has enabled me to encounter everyday epiphanies, find the sacred in the ordinary, the mystical in the mundane, fully enter into the sacrament of the present moment. 
I've made the unexpected but thrilling discovery that everything in my life is significant enough to be a continuous source of reflection, revelation, and reconnection. Bad hair, mood swings, carpools, excruciating deadlines, overdrawn bank accounts, dirty floors, grocery shopping, exhaustion, illness, nothing to wear, unexpected company, even the final 25 pounds. Simple Abundance has reminded me what to do with a few loaves and fishes and has shown me how to spin straw into gold. Simple Abundance has given me the transcendent awareness that an authentic life is the most personal form of worship. Everyday life has become my prayer. Writing Simple Abundance has brought me to the awareness that the reason I was so unhappy, frustrated, resentful, envious, and angry was because I wasn't living the real life for which I was created, an authentic life. I try to now. At least I can now recognize boundaries. What's more, I'm gradually starting to set them. For a woman in the 1990s, this is nothing less than miraculous. I don't have a million dollars in the bank, but I now realize that abundance and lack are parallel realities. Every day I make the choice of which one to inhabit. Now I understand that all my hours aren't billable. Finding a quiet center in which to create and sustain an authentic life has become as essential as breathing. I know all this because at the heart of the simple abundance journey is an exhilarating and earth-rumbling awakening, one that has utterly changed how I view myself and my daily round. The authentic self is the soul made visible. This book is organized as a walk through the year, beginning on New Year's Day. But if this book finds its way to you in April, don't think that you can't use it. I would suggest, however, that you go back to read the month of January in which the six simple abundance principles and how they work are explained. February is devoted to excavating your authentic self. After that, each month ruminates on finding your authenticity in the daily round. Your the domestic arts, work, beauty, fashion, and personal pursuits that bring contentment. Reading books changes lives. So does writing them. May simple abundance through its gentle lessons of comfort and joy help you find the authentic life you were born to live. So I don't know about you, but I see so many similar themes between the artist's way and this book, this connection between spirituality and creativity with your authentic self and learning to shift your perspective into one of abundance. Those are all things we've talked about. And a lot of that came up in this masterclass as well. And so I, I know I just talked for 15 minutes pretty much about this topic before even getting into this week. Part of the reason it connected so well is that this week is about compassion and mostly having compassion for yourself. And the way that the author talks about her journey in this really, I feel, connects to that theme because she is seeing that it takes an honest look at yourself and patience and allowing yourself to go through a process to get to a result, to get to your creative output, right? And she's talking about how she needed to give herself that space and allow it to unfold. And I think that really ties into this week. 
Um, it also is something that I have been thinking about a lot in like the day to day. And I know you guys have probably heard me talk about this a lot already, but it ties into the masterclass as well, which is just that gratitude for the everyday and for the small things, right? Like you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm always sharing like the photo, a photo of how the golden hour light comes in through the curtains onto my wall or a sunset or leaves on the ground. And I think that honestly is how I connect to abundance. And I've never really made that exact connection. Like I've known that it's the gratitude for sure that like, I feel gratitude for those things, but it's never really occurred to me that those are all things I feel abundant in like those moments. Right. And how time is so important to me. And the fact that right now I have freedom of time, even though I'm not rolling in financial abundance at the moment, it's coming to me in ways that allow me to sustain this time freedom. And I think that the more we can start to look at our own lives, like she says in this and how, what we've been talking about in this series and find those moments and create them for ourselves. Like she talks about how she had to create that space for her to have a time to explore her creativity, right? And the same thing goes with artist dates and morning pages and how she even says at one point, like every day on the page, she says that these themes showed up and that is literally like what, when you're doing the morning pages, you start to find your own patterns and find what it is you're constantly writing about. And whether it's something you're complaining about or something you're celebrating, that tells you so much about you. I just felt like this was like, obviously a spirit crown. Like this is something that I was meant to pick up and read in this moment. And if I had read it a different time, it probably wouldn't have landed, even though I've had this book since probably 2018, 2017, maybe even when I moved in here. Um, it's right now this resonated. I may not have thought anything of it if I read it a few years ago. And the fact that it's called simple abundance and abundance has been my theme that I've been exploring for the last few months it just really resonated. And I hope that it connected with you since I've taken up part of our week nine episode to share it with you. But now we will get into week nine, which is recovering a sense of compassion. So the first section in this chapter is about fear. A lot of the time when we don't create or we feel like we can't create, which I have a lot. I have these moments where I'm just like, why can I not do something? And I've gotten to the point where I'm in my, I'm able to embody my feminine more and I don't force it like I used to. Like I'm used to think like I should be creative right now and then nothing comes. Right. And so I force myself and I create something that I'm like the, who made this? Like, this doesn't feel like me. And so learning to allow yourself to be in that moment is really helpful. She talks about here that the inability to create is not laziness. It's just being blocked or allowing the self-doubt to come up. And that doesn't equal laziness. It's not out of, you know, uh, it's not that you don't want to do it or that you're just choosing not to do it. It's that you just don't know where to start most of the time. And that we have all this energy that we spend on, like regret or grief or jealousy around like what we're not doing or doubting ourselves. 
it's because we're probably thinking about the big scary goals. Like we're looking at the person who just wrote the book, right? Who just wrote a book and we're just starting. And we're like, I have written, even with myself, like I've been, I've written maybe like, I don't know, 500 words on a few, in a few chapters, but I've been working on it since the summer. Right. And it's like, I actually don't feel bad about that because I know that when I have those bursts of creativity, I wrote all of what I did right in like a three day period. Right. So allowing yourself to realize that those fears come up more when you're looking at the big picture than when you're looking at the little thing. Like if you're thinking like, Oh, I should have a whole film made or, you know, why does my painting not look I like I've been learning for 10 years when you just started last week, right? And that it's not laziness, it's just fear. It's fear of success, it's fear of failure, and even fear of abandonment. And it's it comes from, like, she goes back to childhood a lot in this book, as you've noticed, I'm sure. And in this chapter, Julia Cameron says that there's that thought of, like, coming from your parents, whether it's real or imagined, that you feel like if you're going to be an artist, you better be a good one and not disappoint them because you're not choosing an easier path, right? And that can really put a lot of fear in us that may not even be based in reality. And I can guarantee you it's not based in reality, right? And a quote that I wrote down here is, the need to be a great artist makes it hard to be an artist. The need to produce a great work of art makes it hard to produce any art at all. And that's so true. And it's like the more you have that even happened to me throughout school, whenever I would be like thinking about what other people were producing or, you know, what the expectation would be because I was in um, like specialized studio where we were meant to be creating our own body of work. And there's a show where, you know, we have guests artists come in at the end of each semester to critique our work. And I starting out would be like, Oh my God, how am I going to create something that's good enough for that? But once I let go and was just like, what what am I curious about right now? Like, what am I interested in right now? And broke it down into smaller steps. And like, you know, starting out, I had never used concrete before. And I was like, well, I played around with it in the, in the summer. And like, Literally, the only way to do this is to just go with my instincts, go with my intuition and just start using the material. And I ended up coming up with something that I did for most of a whole semester. And then it continued into the next semester, into my the end of my final year. And just allowing myself to come at it from a more loving perspective and allow myself to realize that it's not about the finished product right? And so she says at the end of this chapter, this part of the the chapter on fear, that the cure for fear is love. And I'm sure we've heard this on other contexts, but it's true. Like the more we love ourselves and love our process and love the journey, the more we're going to be able to move forward and come out of those times where we feel like we are having like artist block, right? The next section is on enthusiasm. This is a word that like, (laughs) I don't get overly enthusiastic. I do if I'm, I get more like passionate, I get excited about something and then it comes out in my energy and the way I talk about something from an energetic perspective. Like I'm sure you could hear when I was talking about 
printmaking last week and it's just there's a certain energy that comes through but I don't have a very enthusiastic like woo woo kind of energy and actually I've been called by separate people at separate times I've been called Napoleon Dynamite so if you've seen that movie and you hear my tone and how like I'm pretty monotone most of the time that's why I have that nickname (laughs) and so enthusiasm for me is not my strong suit. I was telling a story recently about how I made someone cry by when I was complimenting them because they thought I was being sarcastic. Um, it's not in my energy very often. But in this chapter, she's coming at it from a different perspective. She's saying that in the last chapter, we talked about you know, discipline a little bit. I think I feel like I talked about it when I was talking about like, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean, like being like harsh and not leaving space for things to flow. Right. And and not coming from a place of creative flow either. And so she says here that discipline should not be the main focus, but rather creative flow. And that's what I was saying about how like writing a book or something, if I know I'm not in that space, I don't force it anymore, which I would have probably a year ago, but I've stepped into my feminine or I've been working on that a lot more. But she says that enthusiasm is way more important than discipline. And here's a little quote that she has about enthusiasm. She says, enthusiasm is not an emotional state. It is a spiritual commitment, a loving surrender to our creative process, a loving recognition of all the creativity around us. And that I resonate with more than like making it an emotional state because I don't emotionally feel overly enthusiastic most of the time. But thinking about it in that way, like, I do feel a commitment that I make to the process once I'm in it. And there is an enthusiasm where like I have, that's where I can like spend hours and feel like really engaged with the work is when I just focus on the process and seeing around me what other people are creating and seeking that out. So I definitely do resonate with her quote there, it does make sense to me more so than when people talk about just being enthusiastic about something, that word in general, I don't usually connect with. And this comes back to play, how we've talked about that before and how that is like an energy I also don't resonate with a lot. But she says that a lot of times this creativity is grounded in play and not so much in work because it comes from that joy of the inner child and you know she relates the inner artist to the inner child right and so even just giving ourselves time to spend on our art if we treat it more like a play date than a work period it just opens up a lot more creative energy and she talks about making your workspace into a fun and playful place to do that And I think we talked about this, I don't know if it was a task before or something, but it is something that's come up even in my card pull Fridays a lot. It's just this reminder that constantly comes up to make your space feel the way you want to feel. And I know it's a message for me as well, because I still have things to move around and remove from my apartment. And there's a whole lot of energy that I feel like needs to be removed. And so it goes back to decluttering. All of these things are connected. But I do really think it's important that if you're in a space that it feels like the space you want to be doing 
whatever creative thing you're doing, right? If I feel like I'm sitting here and it doesn't feel like I can write here, it doesn't feel like I can edit in here, then I'm not going to be able to do it. I very much relate to that because sometimes I know I want to work on, let's say like an editing project and I'll set it up here in my office and then I'll be like, no, I need to sit in the living room and I'll like have to like pack it all up and like move it again because my laptop needs to be plugged in because it's old. So I'll like unplug it and move into another room. Like I have to be in the right energy. So keeping that in mind too, of like thinking if you're just starting out, like what space do you feel? Like where are you when you get those creative urges? Where are you when you feel enthusiasm? Where are you when you feel really productive? Think about all of those things and think about where, like maybe think it back to a past creative project that you completed that you felt really good about and enjoyed doing and think about where you were and whether that's a space you could work in again. The next section is about creative U-turns. And I think she re referenced this in another chapter, but didn't explain it. But she talks about how recovering artists who are producing work are really happy. Um, and that might actually become uncomfortable because if we were blocked for a long time and people knew that we wanted to do creative work and they felt bad for us, then we might actually have been getting most of our positive attention or most of the attention from sympathy if when we were unhappy. And so when we're happy, I hate to say it, but <laughs> when we're happy, we don't always get attention from people because sometimes other people are blocked as well and they feel it as a threat. I'm sorry if you can hear that loud noise. I don't know what that is. Um, but people can sometimes feel threatened by it or they just feel like you don't need that attention, right? They're like, oh, you're good now. I don't have to give you this attention. I don't have to keep encouraging you. And so when that happens, we don't do it on purpose, but sometimes self-sabotage can happen when this attention is threatened. And this is what she calls creative U-turns when we all of a sudden start self-sabotaging and it's like right when we're about to be successful. And this is a pattern in life in general. I was actually listening to an episode of the 12th House podcast when she's talking about um, archetypes and how we all have the saboteur, like we all have that and the victim. And because she says there's four that we all have and I feel that that does make sense because there are points where I'm like so close to something and I like want to give up, but I usually will push through if it's something I've already put a lot of time into, but I can totally see where that would be the point to turn around. And so she says at the edge of success or after our first taste of success, we will cause a problem to prevent further progress. So this could be like, if you do actually create the thing and get positive feedback from it, you might actually prevent yourself from creating that again, or just decide you're going to not going to do it anymore. Um, and she does actually acknowledge that all careers have this, be but like maybe it shows up as not taking a promotion or giving a project you really want that you're offered to someone else at the last second, those kinds of things. But she says to remember that anything with creativity is more scary just because it's not the norm. 
And so we already feel different energies from people and different expectations if we're putting that external validation on the table. So to remember your strength, like for me, remembering strength from last week, talking about like how, you know, all these little failures and losses and things actually can help you build up like kind of almost like an immunity not completely, but like it does help you to not feel the disappointment as much and it helps you to keep moving forward. And so in those moments, what she says, like when we are in those lows is that the best cure for is more creativity, not more time. So yes, we need to give ourselves the time to grieve like we talked about, but it's actually more helpful to start taking action again. I think we talked about that before, but it is important that like we allow ourselves to be more creative and go on an artist date or something to get ourselves re-inspired and connect to that enthusiasm as well. And realize that the, like the theme of this chapter, we have to have compassion for ourselves and for our fears. We're human. We're going to have fears come up. So even if you do have one of those moments where you sabotage yourself and then like you're immediately like, wow, why did I do that? Or like it takes you a while to realize you did that. It's just a, a, a learning experience to be like, okay, well, now I know that when I get to this point, I'm going to need to either have support or I'm going to need to recognize the signs so that I can push myself past that next time. Because we also sometimes let ourselves, we also sometimes don't jump back into the creativity early enough and we let ourselves stay in this, I guess, state of just grieving, which you need. But after a certain point, once you're ready to start going again, you might start to feel bad that you lost time, but that's not important because you needed that time to heal. The other thing that she has here is just some different points to help you lead yourself through this and kind of see it coming before you get there. And so recognizing what is your pattern with U-turns, because I'm sure we've all had them at some point. Is it not asking for help when some help would push you through it? Is it having a bad reaction to fear or criticism? Does that make you recoil and give up? And learning what these things are that push us that way, you know, to sabotage ourselves can really help us with this recovery process. So yes, we will have those moments. We will have times when we sabotage ourselves. We can't help it. It's part of being human. It's our ego protecting us from the unknown of what will happen if we are successful or if we do fail, because failure is probably going to happen. But this actually also ties in well to the Melanie and Lair workshop because she talks about how failure is good because it means you're at least, you know, trying it and you can't have a quantum leap. It was quantum leap was what quantum leaps was what the workshop was about the masterclass, but it's a good thing if you're going towards something that makes you feel like you might fail or that you might mess up because we don't get ahead by not failing. Like if there's no chance you're going to fail when you're doing something, then you're not trying hard enough or you're not actually trying. That's something that I had to realize as well. It scares people. And so people will tell you it's dangerous to do what you're doing. People will tell you, you should consider doing something safer because we all have this like fear around the unknown and the unusual. 
And when you choose to do something where there's a pretty good chance you're going to fail or that you haven't tried it before, so you don't know if you're going to fail, that's something that you probably should do. Like Melanie says that where she'd be like, oh, you're scared. You might fail. Good. Do it. Like it's, it's something that I have talked about, as you know, this podcast a lot where when something brings me resistance or fear, it's probably something that I need to do. That's going to get me way further ahead than taking the long way and the safe route. Okay. And then also as last week, it helps to talk about it and find someone who has a strength where you're lacking. So somebody who's done the thing that scares you, somebody who does really well in the space where you're having trouble pushing through, like wherever you sabotage yourself, find someone who is good at that. So if it's, you have a hard time asking for help, find the person who does really well because they have a team or because they have people around them that help them and figure out how they're doing it. The last little written section here is blasting through blocks. And this section, she talks about really naming what your payoffs are from staying stuck and telling us that we have to do that in order to be free of resentment, which shows up as anger and resistance, which shows up as fear, which I totally forgot about that. That's what she's talking about, right? Like those are the things that we have to recognize is where we're finding comfort in staying stuck, like where, where we're choosing to not move past a certain point. Like what is that point that you get to where the self-sabotage kicks in? Like how far do you get into or what part of the process makes you feel that way? By knowing that we can really start to pick it apart. And so she has kind of a little process you can go through if there's a particular project or thing you're trying to do where you list any resentments that you could possibly think about around the project, list any fears that are coming up, and then really asking yourself, is that all? Is there something I'm choosing not to put on the page? Doing the process again. And then asking yourself, what do you gain from not doing it? And then really thinking about making a deal with the universe where she says, you take care of the quality, I'll take care of the quantity. And I think that was mentioned near the beginning of the book as well, where like we can't control the quality if we assume that we are receiving these ideas and inspirations and creativity from the creator, then we have to just do the work, right? That's our part of it is doing the work. So this week's tasks The first one is to read your morning pages. And she says to have two colored markers or highlighters and have one that highlights insights and the other that highlights actions that are needed. It's funny because I didn't read these again. I like when I do this um, because this is what I was talking about, about looking through and finding out what you're journaling about that's positive and what you're journaling about that's maybe more negative. But it's important not to judge yourself because like it might not be a pleasant process, but it does tell you what is coming up that you could take action on. And sometimes you won't like what you see. Sometimes you'll find a tendency where you're like, wow, why am I like this? But that's a question, right? You can be like, okay, why am I like this? But remembering that by doing these pages, it does actually help us in the self-sabotage area because 
we're already pre-identifying what we're feeling. We're acknowledging it instead of just going through the day not knowing what's going on in our brains, right? It gives us a chance to get it all out so that it's out of our system before we start. Number two is visualizing. So she says, you've already done the work with naming your goal and identifying your true north last week. And so this exercise is asking you to imagine having it com like completely done, to, that it's accomplished, you're in that space, and then filling in all of the details and writing it in the present tense as if it's happening and you're telling someone about it. You can read it out loud to yourself. Just allow yourself to be in it, right? I feel like we've all been told this lots of times with visualization and like vision boards, but also thinking about how you can add this to that collage we talked about earlier. There's something about this one that I enjoy more though, because she talks about finding pictures of yourself to combine with all of those other ones. And so maybe if you have photos of yourself in moments when you were really happy, adding that in because then you connect to it more personally than seeing like random like magazine people. So number three is priorities. And this is making a list of your creative goals for the next year. And this is good timing because we're coming towards the end of the year. We're December is tomorrow. So we're listing them for the month after that and then for the week. So kind of what we did before, breaking it down and giving yourself those smaller goals that you can accomplish now and then looking a little bit more far out as well. Number four, creative U-turns. So this is a chance to name one of them and then just keep naming them, but making sure to pay attention to which one like you are just so mad at yourself about and taking time to forgive yourself because compassion is the key for this week, right? Realizing it's part of the process. Part of the process is failing. Part of the process is sabotaging ourselves. And it's our ego just trying to protect us from getting hurt. Considering maybe if any of the things that you maybe abandoned before, maybe there were some creative U-turns where you were almost done something and you kept it, but you never put it out there. If there's anything you can return to, because chances are there's something that you can at least identify, even if you don't put that exact thing out, maybe you are on a train of thought that excites you again, that you can really work on. And then she says in this, having an item that I guess just really I, you identify and feel like protective of, like, you know, when you have that little cute stuffed animal that you just think is so adorable, if you give it yourself a spot, give it a, a spot in your office or your space where you're working, she says like to give it a place of honor and then considering that to be your artist child, your reminder of the artist child and to not beat yourself up. So whenever you're feeling really down about yourself to look at it and think about how you feel about that object and then putting that back on yourself, which I think is just like anything, having a visual reminder of something you need to do. So this is another longer episode, but that's mostly because I took a bit of a detour and I'm glad that I did because I feel like that was actually really helpful just hearing another perspective on all of these themes we've been talking about. And uh, yeah, I feel like for me, 
this self-compassion has been something I've had to work on a lot this year because I've had a lot happening and I actually took a couple days last week when I had planned, of course, being a Capricorn, I had planned a huge chunk of time for working on a project and it was during the masterclass and I just had an emotional few days and I just let myself rest and I haven't really rested where it's like no work, just doing what I needed to do for myself in a long time. So even when I am resting other times, I'm usually doing something that's work related or like brainstorming or scrolling, saving ideas. But I wasn't doing that really at all. I was just watching Christmas movies and like crying and sleeping. So yeah, I feel like sometimes we just need to have that compassion for ourselves. And again, I don't let myself stay in that space for too long. And it's not that I cut off the process. It's just that by really going deep and letting myself feel it, I've learned that helps me get through it faster because the more we're trying to simultaneously ignore it and keep moving, the more it's going to keep coming up and trying to get out. And I feel like I get less done because I'm just distracted and I'm in my head more. Whereas if I let it out, it doesn't get stuck in my head. Same with morning pages. I, I, I used my morning pages to really like journal through what I was thinking of. And then I was okay to move on. And so these are tools, yes, for the creative process, but they're also just helpful for life, for helping you process things, right? So let me know what your thoughts are on this. I also just wanted to say, I know I've noticed a lot of new listeners. So thank you for listening. And I've never asked before, but if anybody would like to give me a review on the podcast, I would really appreciate it because it's just something that's helpful. I like getting feedback. Like I talked about in the criticism episode, I don't mind criticism if it's helpful and gives me some tools to move forward in a better way or lets me know what you are enjoying so I can do more of it. That would be super helpful. And I also wanted to mention that my calendar is kind of closed off right now because I'm actually pretty busy for December and may open at some point for gift cards for energy healing, etc. probably next week. But I just wanted to thank everyone who has become a client or has participated in my lives and different things throughout the year. I've just been thinking about it a lot this week and how far I've come because of the whole quantum leap concept. And I just wanted to thank you all for being a part of this journey and for sharing with me your stories. And just wanted to remind you that if you're hearing this again and you're feeling resistance to wanting to talk on the podcast about your experience with the artist's way, I would really encourage you to reach out because I would really love to share people's stories at the end of the year, even if it's just a small clip and you don't want it to be a whole episode or if it ends up being a whole episode, I just feel like it would be really great to hear other people's experience with the book. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Spirit Crumbs. You can find me on Instagram for this podcast at Spirit Crumbs. Or you can also find me at Concrete and Crystals for my own spiritual offerings and more tidbits about my own journey. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.